Here's a, a probing question, kind of. Uh, do you know what was the most difficult issue under debate during the era of the Reformation? I get it. I'll give you a hint with kind of what we're studying. Oh, wow. Okay, Lord's Supper. You're, that's my wife, everyone. Um, according to what's that? All right. Well, that is key. Indeed, it is. Have you been reading ahead, brother? No, you're just smart. Uh, according to Richard Barcellos, um, it wasn't justification by faith alone or even the argument against or for the papacy. It was rather the theology and practice of the Lord's Supper. Now, the key word here is difficult. Um, whereas we have with justification of faith or the legitimacy or illegitimacy, of course, of the papacy, that argue, those two arguments, or of course, the justification by faith, the proper understanding of it, only two, really primarily two positions were taken there. But when it came to the Lord's Supper, it was hotly debated among the Catholic, the Roman Catholics, the Lutherans, uh, the Swiss reformers like Zwingli, of course, Luther, um, the Lutherans, uh, English reformers. It was, it was a lot of debate on it. Um, just a difference, simply just even a difference in understanding of the hyperstatic union of Christ, uh, where the, um, the, the union of the human and the divine natures in the person of Jesus, the hypostatic union, just simply whether or not Jesus was, you know, not, it wasn't just a matter of him being both God and man, but key differences in understanding Jesus' divinity and human nature within that union, the hypostatic union, that was enough to force a difference in understanding how the Lord's Supper should be practiced. The brother mentioned already, you know, hinted on you know, the focus on the body, but, and we'll, of course, we'll be getting into these details more, um, not necessarily this morning, but as we go through this study. Um, but we're going to be studying about the Lord's Supper. Now, the primary text that we're using is, I got a copy of the book, hold on. Uh, it's called, The Lord's Supper as a Means of Grace, subtitled, More Than a Memory. Um, and it's written by Richard Barcelos. Lord's Supper as a means of grace. Um, in the foreword, Jim Renahan, he's commenting on the book. Um, and there he, he rightly considers the question of the right understanding of the Lord's Supper was, to, was, was central in the minds of these Reformation era theologians. Uh, and because it was so central to their minds, his argument is it, it should cause us to reflect on its importance because it was such a central topic to them. Um, nowadays, he goes on, he's, he's commenting, um, actually Barcelos is, is commenting on this. He says, nowadays, the practice of baptism, we know that it divides the Protestant, Protestants into two different camps, Pado-Baptists versus Credo-Baptists. But when it comes to the, the theology and practice of the table of the Lord, there isn't much of a stir. Certainly not what it used to be, is the argument here. 
Um, I think that just the fact that there can be wide differences in the, in the number of times, and the number of times a church celebrates their Lord's Supper in a given year is evidence enough that there are underlying conceptions that, that differ. You know, some churches once a month, once a quarter, once a year. We practice among Reformed churches every Lord's Day. Um, and yet, often this is not a, a, a point of discussion. Again, not to the degree of some of these other things. And this is a, a sacrament given to the church we're talking about. You know, we want to avoid discussions like this so often because we're thinking, well, maybe it's nothing more than just a preference here. But again, it is a sacrament, uh, one of only two given. And so it, it, is it something that can simply be differentiated by preference? So that's kind of a question there. And I hope we get, and I expect that we will get more clarity on our own thinking of this as we walk through the study. Um, very few people in general consider the purpose of it in the God's divine plan and, and its usefulness, usefulness in the church and, and its usefulness in, in our lives as believers. And I think it's fair to say that our, those predecessors that we have from that Reformation era that they had a better understanding of the place and importance of the Lord's Supper, at least certainly more than we do today, even among ministers, pastors. So as we walk through this series, we're gonna, series, we're gonna spend some time looking at some critical views there of the reformers. Um, well, as Barcelos noted in his introduction, um, as he put this study together, um, he wanted to make it clear that some very close and strenuous exegesis, some sound biblical theological conclusions were, 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 were driven into his study. Um, key insights drawn from systematic theology, and of course, the respect for the spirit of Christ and his work in uh, church history, all of these things he's trying to bring into the conclusions that we're going to be going through as a primary text of this study. Um, and they all deserve a part in our thinking. You know, church history, the understanding of, again, the practice of the Lord's Supper, of, you know, how different systematic theologies this, um, analyze it. And then again, that, those biblical theological conclusions that we should be driving from, they all are gonna make contributions here. But first and foremost, it's always the word of God that has the proper and first and preeminent place to begin all of our studies. We know this, it's our only rule of faith and practice, the word of God. So um, we're not going to ever, by God's grace, lose sight of that. Um, our focus will be on the supper through the study. Will be on the supper and prayer and its relationship with the, the supper. So, actually, the elements themselves and the taking of it that's involved in it and the prayer that's associated with it. A, a clear concentration will be made on what the Apostle Paul wrote 
concerning the nature of the Lord's Supper as a means of grace? I mean, we can't, obviously. We, it's, it's what Paul says is going to be very central to what we're studying here. Um, and Barcelos says the primary goal in his book is to concentrate on, that, on how the Lord's Supper is spiritually nourishing to the souls of believers, how it affects or produces spiritual growth in worthy partakers, or simply just how is the Lord's Supper a means of grace? I think it's very important for us to always have this in the forefront of our minds, you know, especially since we also partake of it every week. Um, he defines a means of grace as the delivery systems God has instituted to bring grace. That makes sense. The means of grace, well, those are how God delivers grace to us in an ordinary way, these ordinary means of grace. Um, and those, that grace that we are, are given and receive through these things is spiritual power, spiritual change, certainly spiritual help, a fortitude, spiritual fortitude, and, and the blessings, all of those things entailed, all given to us who are very needy, right? Very needy. Um, and so understanding that grace that we receive through the means of the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm excited for this study. Uh, in preparation for it, Barcelos, he gives three reasons why undertaking this subject is so difficult. And really, when he notes these difficulties, it's when he went to write and put this book together, um, the study together, what are those difficulties that he had to um, encounter? Really, anyone who's writing on this. The first one he wrote is, it's difficult because of the amount of ink spilled over this issue at the time of Reformation. You know, he says, more ink was spilled over the issue of the sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper at the time of the Reformation than over the issue of justification, justification by faith alone. So just because of all that ink spilled by very respected theologians on all these sides, it warrants a lot of careful analysis. Number two, another reason why it's difficult is because of the diverse views among Christians, true believers in Christ, in our own day even. Again, um, the, the Lutherans, have a different view. Uh, they hold that, that Christ's human nature is somehow present with the elements, with the, with the wine and the bread. Um, consubstantiation is how they call it. Um, but somehow, how Christ's human nature is somehow present with the bread. That's a different view. Uh, another difficulty he notes here is it's difficult because of the tendency in everyone to allow wrong presuppositions to cloud judgment. Now, we're all can be victim of this, fall victim to our presuppositions. Um, everyone brings preconceived notions into discussions. We all do. And they can shield us from understanding what someone else is arguing. It can be a block. 
Um, you know, how many of us can report at least one time in our spiritual life not believing or even understanding what others were saying simply because we had already made up our mind on the fact. Now, hearing this, you may think, well, then what's the point of trying to learn anything? Um, Barcelos reminds us, and I heartily agree with him, we can take consolation in the very real fact that when the Lord's word is opened and explained accurately, God makes things men that have men made obscure, God makes them to be clear. And that's the work of the spirit through the word. So we always have that blessing. We can look at God's word and analyze it, understand and explain it accurately, and, and the Spirit of God will give us a proper understanding. All right, so the title of this Sunday School this morning is Terminology of the Meal. The goal of the first chapter in Barcellus's book is to survey New Testament terminology um, regarding the Lord's Supper, really just to be able to lay a foundation so that when we go into more deeper elements and discussions and analysis, uh, we're on the same page. Now, a lot, some of this terminology, I would even argue most of it, is not going to be um, new to most of you. It will be to some of you in this room because we are, you know, ages from, you know, babies all the way up to, to my age. All right? So... Um, and more. But to lay a foundation, some terminology. Um, and so a key attribute, and so what I'm going to show here is this slide, what I've decided to do is I'm not going to put a bunch of slides with verses on here. I want us to be able to turn to them in our Bibles. That's why I invited everyone to make sure they have their Bible. And so what I have up here are some of the key verses that we're going to go over this morning. Um, and with that, a key attribute of the Lord's Supper is the giving of thanks. That is a key attribute, clearly, is included in there, is the giving of thanks. And because of the giving of thanks, the early post-apostolic post church, okay, um, they identified the supper as the Eucharist, coming from the Greek word for thanksgiving. Now, we can see this terminology now, albeit in Greek, but even in uh, English translations of the work called the Didache. The Didache, uh, the teaching of the Twelve, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, uh, is regarded and understood as an early church teaching manual. It's not scripture. It's not the inspired word of God. But it, like anything that we consult to help us to understand the Word of God better, it's another resource. Well, the Didache, uh, it was compiled most likely, um, scholars think, over several decades, possibly beginning in the first century. Okay? Completed sometime in the mid to late second century. And it was, again, a, a kind of a, a church teaching manual. In uh, section nine, part five, it's a very, the Didache is not long. 
Um, it reads, only let those who have been baptized in the name of the Lord eat and drink at your Eucharists. Only let those who have been baptized in the name of the Lord eat and drink at your Eucharists. So we find it here mentioned, that term Eucharist. Um, again, meaning Thanksgiving. And that's where that term again popped up. At the Lord's Supper, we are to express our thankfulness for the giving up of the Son of God, for the eternal well-being of our souls and our bodies. So we give thanks. Barcelos, he comments, saying, this concept of thankfulness is probably one of the reasons we often, we often say that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Have you, I'm sure you've heard that term before, some of you, that let's go and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Thankfulness is obviously very appropriate here. It's necessary when we come together as a body of Christ and take the Lord's Supper. Another term to be familiar with um, is how the Lord's Supper is sometimes referred to in Scripture as the breaking of bread. Now, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles. This is the believers, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's referring to the Lord's Supper. And flip to chapter 20, verse 7, also in the book of Acts. It says, and we use this text um, when we were going over um, the Sabbath the study. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Again, an instance of the breaking of the bread in that gathered worship time to worship on the Lord's day. It's referring to, the breaking of bread's referring to the Lord's Supper. These are not just words about sharing a common meal. It's not just like what we're going to experience around 1230, or not 1230, around 1 o'clock today in our fellowship meal. It's not about that. It's words of institution given first by Christ then passed on to the first churches by the apostles, and so on and so on and so on. The breaking of bread. In the breaking of bread, writes one commentator, quote, we see a graphic portrayal of Christ's death on the cross where his body was broken to secure our redemption. When we got past our fears of COVID, one of the things that we quickly brought back was the, the, the deacons up there breaking the bread, breaking what we use as the bread um, as we partake of this meal. It's important to have that visual, okay? Another term, the, the Lord's Supper is sometimes called sharing or 
participation in the blood of Christ and participating in the body of Christ. All right? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. If I was smart, I would have put a bookmarks in here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Right. Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The King James translates this sharing, or some translations say sharing in the body or the blood. Our ESV says participation. King James um, translates as communion, which is why sometimes we call the Lord's Supper communion. Uh, Barcellus, uh, he writes, he wants us to, to really to notice that this, this sharing or the communion is a present tense reality. Now, again, the subtitle to his book is that the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, the subtitle, More Than a Memory. It's more than just a memorial. It has a present tense reality, this participation in the blood and the body of Christ. There is something that takes place through the, the Lord's Supper. Now, he makes this point because, and he's going to argue later um, in the book, that the Lord's Supper is more than, again, this memorial meal. It does not call us to only look to the past. You know, when he says, do this in remembrance of me. And Christ gave that instruction. There is something about the supper that involves a present reality, that communion with Christ, and the benefit that he brings to our souls. It is a means of grace. Um, another passage, uh, just a few verses after what we read just now, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. It says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. Um, this, again, this idea of participation. Uh, the Lord instituted this rite. Um, it belongs to him. It says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord it's his cup. Um, it's, as Barcelos quips, he says, it's, it, it's not a distant, though we're not onlookers from a distance here. Certainly Christ is not looking on this from a distance. It's his cup. It's his body. It's, his, it's the bread of the Lord that we're taking in. The Lord's Supper is the Lord's. We see this also in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, which is the same passage we read every Sunday as we celebrate the meal. It is not an ordinary meal. It's uniquely tied to the Lordship of Christ. And nowhere else in Scripture is it called the Lord's Supper than we read in 1 Corinthians 11. But it is most certainly that, the Lord's Supper. So it's his. 
You know, we can use these terms so much that it starts to lose its impact. But this is the Lord's Supper. All right. He gives some practical observations for us as we're working through this terminology. First, he says the Lord's Supper is a covenantal meal. It is a covenantal meal. Let's go to Matthew 26. Uh, 26, verses 26 through 29. All right, it says, Now as, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink again of the, this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As the old covenant had a covenantal meal that was connected to covenantal blood, you know, the Passover right, um, done in the special presence of God, so does the new covenant. In fact, let's go to Exodus and read about that briefly. Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The blood of the covenant indicates entrance into a covenantal relationship with God. That's what it meant. That's what was being portrayed. What we just read in Exodus chapter 24. When we take the Lord's Supper, it is a covenantal renewal meal. 
It does not bring us into covenant with God, but it reminds us that we are in covenant with him through Christ and partaking of the meal enhances that, that, that bond that we have. It doesn't, it doesn't make it any more than what it already is in, in terms of what Christ has accomplished, but as a means of grace, it's an enhancement to our spiritual condition and our walking with the Lord in that grace. So when we take the supper, we are reasserting allegiance to the exalted Christ, and we do this together. You know, it's one of the reasons among many, you know, that this is not something we do alone in our house or whenever we feel like it with a group of friends. It is a covenantal meal. It's something given to the church. We'll go into that later, not this morning, but as we go through the book. Another practical observation is one we are quite familiar with. The Lord's Supper is a memorial ordinance. First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty four. You can turn there. Eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." All right, very familiar with that text. Just like the Passover meal instructed by God to the Jews in the Old Testament, the Lord's Supper has this. Again, this memorial element to it. Now, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we must never forget what it is we are remembering. And another reason why we put a, a fence around the table with children, being able to discern these things, remember these things, to discern that, that one who is just, Jesus Christ dying for those who are unjust and how he reconciles us into the very safe presence of God. And as we remember what, what is he done, we rejoice. We rejoice in this and the, the captain or a founder of our salvation. And besides the memorial aspect, again, is very prominent in the meal, there is this present spiritual benefit to the meal. And that's one theme that he's going to really help try to bring out as we go through this series, that this present spiritual benefit. Now, we already read 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, which said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is a covenantal meal. It's a bond and pledge of our present communion with the Lord and the salvific benefits that he purchased for us and that he gives to us by means of his shed blood. Now this, the blood represented by the cup, it's a very strong tie that we have into the eternal covenant that we have with God. the preciousness of the blood of Christ. 
It is a means of participation in the spiritual things that really have already been accrued to us. You know, the power over sin, uh, the strength and wisdom to do good works that actually please our Heavenly Father. These blessings that we have, very present blessings. We can be thankful for these as we participate in the Lord's Supper, remembering that it's what he has done to procure this. One more observation um, that we're going to make today, and that's one that's connected with the future. It has a, an element of eschatological anticipation. We read in Matthew 26 already, in verse 29, if I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It has that future aspect to it, that anticipation. Furthermore, in the le verse 11, 26 of 1 Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes. It's more than a memorial. It, it is also anticipatory, the Lord's Supper. It not only points to the past, but it ministers grace in the present. You know, and I'm pointing to the future as well, when the very Son of God will drink it new with us. So, This was the purpose of our first study, to go over some terminology. It's new to some of us in this room, and it's not to others. But it is a reminder, I think, for all of us, a good one, of some of these terms. That when you see like the, the breaking of the bread in certain passages, like in Acts um, that we covered, um, Acts in chapter 2 and in chapter 20, it's, it's referring to the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, as we go further into the study with Stephen and I, as we're teaching it, um, the purpose of going through these term, this terminology is to remove any doubt that we're not on at least some equal footing in terms of understanding uh, some, some, of this term, some of these terminologies um, and understanding that there are a past, present, and future element to the Lord's Supper. So, any questions before we wrap up? Yes. Let me turn there real quick. Hold on. It seems to be an actual backing up transubstantiation. Well, I mean... Uh, yeah, they would. That's one of their arguments. But again, they take it out of context. They got to read it in the overwhelming larger context here. Um, and again, one of the things that you also, besides besides the um, the blasphemy, really, is partaking in the mass and what they're doing, um, is reason itself. You know, this is turning into the actual blood of Christ and the body of Christ. But again, they're taking 
like anyone does who misuses scripture out of, out of context. It is a sharing um, in these things. Um, and Christ himself at that time, when he gave and instituted, he said, this is my blood, body and this is my blood. The, the apostles weren't sitting here thinking, all right, we're about, this is his blood that I'm actually drinking. So they certainly have uh, jumped to the wrong conclusions there. But again, that, that just goes to the fact that you had the Roman Catholics and their strong understanding of things. And it wasn't, and, and there's a, an underlying theological reason to their thought patterns in this. And I explained, same with the, the Lutherans and uh, the Swiss reformers and the English reformers. Um, we'll get to all that, but that's certainly a wrong conclusion. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this means of grace that you have given to us, uh, that we get to enjoy the breaking of the bread, the taking of the cup, and not only be reminded of what Christ has won for us, what he has done for us in sacrificing himself, giving himself up, the just for the unjust, but Father, that we get to enjoy a very pleasant blessing. And Father, we ask that your spirit would help us to understand this and to see it. That we wouldn't just be taking it as devoted as we want to and try to as we partake of the meal. To be as honorable as we possibly can, but that we truly understand and enjoy the present blessing that is conveyed in this means of grace. Lord, we ask that your spirit would help us to understand that. And that you would if you will, use this, this study as a tool to do that. We pray this and ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.